This is the remix. The clock will wind out, and the Bears end their 73-year hibernation from the national title game. Baylor defeats Houston 78-59. They're in the national championship game for the first time since 1948, and the second time in school history. Started off with Tyler Bischoff from ESPN Radio. Dribbling to the right side, it's Juzang. Seven seconds to go. Six seconds. Juzang in the paint. Fade away. No. Got his own rebound. Slithers to the rim and lays it in. Three seconds to go. We're tied at 90. Here comes Suggs. Long three for the win. Banks at home. Banks at home. Jalen Suggs. A deep banked three to Sten Gonzaga. One step closer to history. The Las Vegas Journal Review. I could have gone a lot of places. People always ask, man, why Gonzaga? You know, why is this place you want to come in a small city in Washington? You know, small conference in the WCC. You know, it's not like the Big Ten, you know, Big 12 or any of that. Um, but I mean, for the people and for the culture, that, that's why that's why I chose to come here. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Baylor ending its 73-year hibernation to return to the title game. Is that the best or the worst call? It's a good call. I mean, any. I thought you'd. I thought you'd like that call. I did. I did like that one. Yeah. It's definitely one that whoever that play-by-play announcer was for Westwood, what he was thinking of that one the day before. Like, yeah. all right, what oh, am yeah. I saying that was for a, that Baylor? Was a setup. Here? That was a setup. Yeah. It was a good one, though. I, I, yeah. I can appreciate that. So, how's the flag, Ed? How's the Baylor flag? Is it still holding up outside the house? Absolutely, flying strong. I don't know if we have any wind this morning because it's probably ninety degrees out again. But uh, yeah, it's up and it's ready. It's uh, ready to go. Uh, so if Baylor loses tonight, does the flag immediately come down? Uh, no. No, I mean, okay. you know, in, the next few, okay. in the next few days. I mean, I don't know if we're going to keep it up. but uh, If they win, so, uh, how long does it stay up? That's the, That might be a oh, better question. Nah, same thing. The next oh, day, I mean, until wow. football season. Until football season. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, flag's ready. I don't know, I don't know if it's going to be um, flying to victory, but uh, I just, uh, like I said off the top, I'd love for it to be a one-possession game either way. Like, I don't want a blowout either way. And, obviously, I think Gonzaga would be the only team that could muster that. So, uh, I hope it's one possession. I hope it's uh, I hope it's a good, uh, good game. So, we talked a lot about Gonzaga at 7 o'clock. Uh, not as much about Baylor, but they blew Houston out, uh, beat them by 19 points. The way those two games went, where you have Gonzaga needing a, a buzzer beater in overtime to beat an 11 seed, whereas Baylor just manhandled a 2 seed. Like, how, how confident are you that Baylor can actually make this the game that you're looking for? I'm pretty con- – I, I think those guards are really good. And, you know, it's the, the cliche of the cliches, cliches of all, uh, all in-state tournament games. Like, guards win, whether it's true or not. Those three guards are really, really good. Uh, said before – now, it, it's been fine for them because they're undefeated. And the other day was probably their first close game other than maybe BYU, and they still ran away from them in the second half. They only play, he plays, he's kind of shortened his bench to two guys off the bench for Gonzaga, and Baylor has more depth than them, so I think they're in it. I mean, now they could be down 15 and a half and not be, but I think they're. I think those guards, Damian Mitchell and those guys, are too good to where it's going to be hard, I think, to blow that team out. I think they're in the game. I am curious to see how Gonzaga defends Baylor, because what Baylor, when, when Baylor looks really good, and like they did against Houston, offensively, they just spread the floor and they run a pick and roll for Davion Mitchell or Jared Butler. 
and you you can't really guard everything because either you're going to give up their two best guards, Mitchell or Butler, getting an open shot or getting to the rim, or the reason Jonathan Chamuachua had such a big game in the Final Four was because Houston's priority was, hey, let's get the ball out of Mitchell and Butler's hands, and what that meant was after Jonathan Chamuachua set the screen, he was open rolling to the rim. And so I'm curious how right. Gonzaga defends it because... Gonzaga switches a lot, and against UCLA, they switched a lot. Early on, UCLA actually had a few possessions where they were able to drive to the rim, beating Gonzaga's switches. It was like, oh, you've got Drew Timmy on a guard, and they actually were able to dribble past Drew Timmy. So I'm fascinated to see how Gonzaga defends Baylor, because if they switch everything, that'll eliminate Jonathan Chamuachua getting an open dunk off of a roll. That'll eliminate a kick-out three, but all of a sudden... Drew Timmy's now guarding Davion Mitchell. Drew Timmy's now guarding Jared Butler, and that's probably not a great matchup. That's probably a matchup that uh, Baylor will win over and over and over. So I'm fascinated how Gonzaga tries to defend Baylor. But the the problem for Baylor and the problem for every single team that has played Gonzaga is that no one, no one has figured out what to do with Gonzaga's offense. Because to mm-hmm. to put into perspective how good Gonzaga has been offensively, the average college basketball team's points per possession is 1.02 this season. Gonzaga's worst game of the season was 1.03. And every other game besides that has been 1.07 or higher. And normally they're at like 1.1, 1.2 in most games. But Gonzaga, the entire season, has not had a single game where their offense was below average from an efficiency standpoint. Not one game the entire season. So even if Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler can score off, you know, because they got Drew Timmy matched up on them or whatever it is, I, I can they stop Gonzaga? Because I don't, nobody's shown that they can. Nobody's shown they've even come close. Like, I, that's the problem for everybody that plays Gonzaga is – even if you figure out some things against their defense, no one stopped them. No one's even right. come close to slowing them down. No, they're incredible. Best offense, I think we we said last last week. I mean, best offense I've ever seen college basketball. I don't think they're the best team. Um, I think Kentucky '96 was a better team, but they're the best offense. And uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be these these guards are so good on the perimeter defensively. Um, I'll be interested to see how they how Suggs kind of deals with them as well. Um, but I also wanted to ask you, you don't, so you don't think, and the other thing is about Baylor, when I, the thing I really wanted to see was Baylor-Gonzaga earlier in the year, because then they both have film, they both kind of understand matchups, they both see where they were at against each other. Now, they didn't play that game because of COVID. This is Baylor's best shot. They are playing as well as they were in February, when they were completely in rhythm, and then the three games canceled because of COVID. Um, and then they are back now in terms of that team. I, had they played then... That would have been an incredible game. I hope tonight's an incredible game. But between Teague, like you said, and Mitchell and Jared Butler, I, I, I can't wait to see them and, and how they deal with Suggs and others. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you on Timmy uh, and the bigs. But, uh, you know, one thing I think we both want to see tonight is how Marvin Menzies, Jonathan Chamachacha. <laughs> how much, by the way, how many different how many different ways have what they said his last name in the tournament? Yeah. How many times have they how many times have they said it differently? Between Nance and um, Rafferty and Grant Hill. Well, I think Rafferty just gave up. He didn't even try in the final. No, he, says, he just says Jonathan. Yeah, just Big John down there. Big like, John. Yeah, 
he didn't even try. Um, I think Nance for the final four, Nance seemed okay. He, he he was actually pronouncing it, but yeah, Raftery, I don't even think tries, and I don't think Grant Hill is either. But like <laughs> Jonathan Chamuchachua is fascinating because people are like, oh, look, a former Marvin Menzies, former UNLV player. If he was at UNLV, he probably would have been. They would. I don't think Jonathan Chamuchachua would have been worth a single extra win to UNLV this season. Right. I don't. I don't think it would have mattered because Jonathan Chamuchachua is a. He's a good rebounder. And he finishes plays off on the pick and roll. And he's better than Ibaka Zhang, no doubt about it. But UNLV didn't have a guard this season that was good on the pick and roll that would have passed it to him. <laughs> so the thing that Jonathan Chamuchachua does well on offense never would have existed for UNLV this year. So, like, he's, he's good and he's better than expected. But you have to have a guy that's good on the pick and roll. And UNLV doesn't have that guard that would have ever passed it to him. So he would have, like, it wouldn't have made a difference if he was here or not. Maybe not, but what we remember what we saw with him when he was here is it that he's just played with the you know maybe the three you know three of the best guards in college basketball at least as a as a trio as a tandem or do you think Drew's done some things with him that he's just a lot better than when he was here? Is it who do you give credit to that he's he's obviously an improved player? Oh, his it's the role they've given him. I mean, the role they've given him is hey, go rebound every single missed shot and. After you set a ball screen, just cut to the basket as hard as you can. And if they throw you the ball, dunk it. And like that, he's great at that. I mean, it's, he's yeah. phenomenal in that role. So it's, it's a it's a simplified role of hey, what is Jonathan Chamwachachua best at? Well, he's really athletic and he's a good rebounder. So let's have him rebound and let's have him just run straight to the rim. And if nobody right. guards him because we've got great players. He's got to dunk on people. And yeah. it's to me, it's, it's Scott Drew took a guy who was extremely athletic and put him in a role that is, I mean, it, it's the perfect role for Jonathan Chamochachua. They're not asking him to shoot. They're not asking him. He did have a really good assist. He did have a really good kickout pass after being the role man against Houston. But they're not asking him to, like, distribute the ball. They're asking him to set screens, roll to yeah. the basket, finish at the rim, and rebound. And he can do all those things. Now, yeah. to compare it to UNLV... UNLV's been trying to get Mbake Zhang to do those things for three years, and Mbake Zhang hasn't really shown that he can catch the ball on a consistent basis, so that hasn't worked out as well. So, I mean, Drew deserves credit for what Jonathan Chamochachua has done, but also Absolutely. Jonathan Chamochachua, I mean, he's he's a great, you know, athletic talent. Like, he's a really good player. You just gotta, you just can't ask him to do things he's not good at, like almost every player in the sport. That'd be cool if he was. That'd be cool if he was cutting down a net tonight. Well, it'd be cool if Baylor won for uh, many reasons, as you know. Um, but uh, that would be cool if that kid cut down net because a lot of those kids who left. I'm trying to think. Amori Hardy went to Oregon. He got to play in it. Um, uh, Woodbury went to Utah Valley. Um, JTT went to Texas Tech, and I don't think he's there anymore, is he? Tomboy. Tomboy went to Texas. Tomboy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Say, Tomboy. Uh, no, JTT is who no, we're no, talking no, about. No. 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 Um, uh, Minus I think it was like um, three games for Tomboy, and then he left because he wasn't playing as much as he thought because yeah. they recruited yeah. over him in the one year he right. was there. <laughs> um, so this kid's, I, you know, you can think of other people. This kid's had by far the most success of, and, you know, they all pretty much left at that point. Yeah, he has. I mean, Tomboy might have, yeah, Tomboy might have had more success if he had stuck around and played a lot for Texas Tech because Tomboy, Tomboy's good. Like, he's, he right. was the best player that left UNLV, but because he left, it hasn't played anywhere since then it's hard to say he's had success 
Hardy, Hardy early on had a bigger role than Jonathan Chamochachua does, but his role got cut down to just a few minutes per game. So, yeah, I mean, Woodbury and Ben Coupet and Turvel Beck ben have Coupette. all had really good seasons, but they're at lower levels and not in the NCAA tournament. While Jonathan Chamochachua is going to play 18 minutes or so tonight, probably score four or five points and might win a national championship. Probably yeah. not. I think Gonzaga is winning this game by 15, but he might win oh, a national geez. championship. Okay. Yeah, I really think. think do you good. think they run I, away from them? I think they're too good. I do. I don't. I think they're too good. Okay. Well, now we need Ed's lean. <laughs> no, I mean uh, the money's going to the money's going to Baylor because it's now four and a half. Um, which again, well, your money's you know, going to Baylor for different reasons. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> it's already been there. They have enough, so I don't need to give them any more for the four and a half. But uh, that's somewhat interesting. Maybe not though. Last what you've seen. I mean, Baylor just won that game so easily against Houston and Gonzaga. Like I said, and that's what we talked about at the top of the show. I have no idea. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe that emotion was gone the next day and they zeroed in and, you know, they, they want to go undefeated. And he said they have focused in on all the year he, when he was talking after the game. We'll see pretty early, though. I mean, we'll see pretty early on in terms of if they have any hangover. And if they don't, they're the better team. Listen, Ed, Gonzaga has all the momentum after that game-winning shot. Uh-huh. That's right. Right. Momentum, momentum. Okay. I gotta get one of those commercials that say momentum. There's, where where there, can I get one of those? There's two there are two things that you guys have like totally lost. How first, you understand this is this is the UNLV, like this is the the local morning show for like Las Vegas. And so the second point is how badly would the nineteen ninety championship team would have beaten either of these teams and why is it by two hundred? Uh, that's interesting. Sam Gordon did a good story the other day on the 91 You're team. I did a column with it. supposed to take this seriously. And, and, and I will say this, Dan Wetzel, who I respect as much as anyone in our business, he wrote the book with Tart. He said, and you know, he prefaced it with no respect to Gonzaga. It's a different era, different, totally different team. He said UNLV 91 would destroy this team. You know, I think they probably beat it. I don't know, Tyler. I, I think it's hard to destroy a team that good offensively. Like, I know, you know, Unilever is good defensively and the whole Amoeba. I get all that. But how could anyone destroy this team when they can score like that? Gonzaga by 10. Guys. Would you take them over 91? Fan service. Yep. Gonzaga by 10. We're looking for fan service. Wow. Gonzaga by 10. Coming up next, (laughs) it's Bischoff's briefs, and I'll do my own fan service because I'm the fan, and the Astros are the best team in baseball. Bischoff's Briefs. Math is the real world, okay? It's everywhere. Bischoff's Briefs. There is nothing about this I understand. Bischoff's Briefs. So I guess my biggest problem is I've been cursed with the ability to do the math. Bischoff's Briefs. Hey, Ed, I've got a quick question for you. Are the Dodgers undefeated this year? No, they're not. They are. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, look, Tyler, I'm all for it, buddy. If you want to, like, if you want to consider the regular season, uh, you know, important and get the pat on the back, I, I'm happy for your Astros at this point, buddy. I mean, if, 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 if you're excited about what happens in March and April, I mean, you know, good for you. Hasn't that been all you've had to be excited about except for a 60-game uh, season? Oh, you're not putting the asterisks next to it. 
Come on. What? I, I We've mean, already done this. Of course. My, my asterisk is a 60 game series a season. Your asterisk is a bunch of drums cheating your brains out. So asterisk. I, asterisks. I am just <laughs> glad that when Ed said, I'm happy for your Astros, he like, there was a, just a slight pause. I'm happy for your Astros. <laughs> the Astros are the best team in baseball. They are 4-0 and this season. There were Asterisk. two other undefeated teams, but they've only won three games in the Phillies and somehow the Orioles. But the Astros have scored 35 runs. That's the most in baseball by seven runs. Um, fun fact, last year, the Astros played the A's 10 times and scored 25 runs all season. They've played them four times this season and already put up 35. Uh, last year, the Oakland A's allowed nine runs in the ninth inning all season. They allowed 10 ninth inning runs in four games to the Astros. The A's had the best bullpen ERA in baseball last year at 2.72. For this season, it sits at 8.64. The Astros have hit the most home runs in baseball with eight. They are the fourth team in the history of the sport to start their season with at least eight runs scored in the first four games. It's the second time ever the Astros have started a season 4-0. They also did it in 2001. Uh, Jose Altuve is hitting 375, and he has an on-base percentage of 500. Alex Bregman's hitting 500. Julie Gurriel's hitting 467. Kyle Tucker only has three hits on the season, but he has seven RBI, and that's partially thanks to Jose Altuve scoring on a pop-up to the shortstop. Jose Altuve scored eight runs in that series. The A's scored nine. Altuve has more runs scored than the Braves and the Red Sox, and he has the same amount as the Brewers and the Yankees. And the Astros had six pitchers that threw at least uh, or or more than one inning and have an ERA of 0.00. The last four days is the most fun I have had watching regular season baseball ever because I love being hated and I love the idea of Oakland A's fans booing the Astros and then watching their team getting embarrassed four days in a row, not even competitive in a single one of the games in a four-game series. The Astros never trailed in a single game. Only once did the A's even come back to tie it and that was in the first inning of a 1-1 game in that entire series. I can't get enough of it. That was the greatest four days of regular season baseball I've ever seen. Oh, should I unmute myself? Okay, there you go. Um, yeah, I'm very happy for you. Uh, I watched some baseball uh, uh, myself over the weekend, and uh, I'm excited the season's gone on. I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't watched the Astros yet, but I've seen the scores. I actually saw the score yesterday and, and knew you'd be like, crowing today about some weird team that's 4-0 after four games. Uh, so let us in on a little secret. Why, why, why are they so good, so good? Why should we be paying attention to them this year? What do you mean? Because they're good at the sport. What are you talking well, about? I mean, like, give me something that I might actually be interested in watching the best team in baseball on a daily basis that I'd have to be worried about if, in fact, they went all the way and met them. Because the last time they went all the way and met them, they well, the lost. Cheat, the cheating, the cheating doesn't count. It's it's the other stuff. Asterisk. <laughs> yeah, the cheat, the cheating. What are you the cheating. talking about? The last time I mean, you the had to play, the you lost. The Astros, the Astros are going to have one of the top three offenses in baseball this year. Like what happened over the weekend is. 
The Astros have good hitters at the top of the lineup. They played a game without Alex Bregman because he took the day off. They played two without Michael Brantley because he got hit with a pitch in the wrist. And they still put up at least eight runs in every game because guys like Chas McCormick hit a home run and Jason Castro hit a home run. The Astros are going to be one of the three best offenses in baseball the entire season, and I can't wait for them to win the AOS by 15 games. Because that's the other best part of this, is the A's are supposed to be their biggest competition, and they're already up four games after a four-game sweep. The A's playoff odds, according to fan graphs, they had about a 34% chance to make the playoffs before the season started. It's oh, now down come to, on! It's now down to 17% after getting swept. <laughs> four games in. Listen, I hope it continues. No, you know, the best team's actually rolling. I got to give you guys credit for getting uh, this team ready as the best team in baseball rolls in there tonight. Oh, yeah. You guys need to beat the A's for yeah. me. I'd appreciate yeah, I mean, that even well, more. Come on. Listen, come on. Come the, on. A's, the A's just <laughs> got swept and humiliated in four games against the Astros. Now they play the Dodgers, and then yes. they turn around and have to go to Houston to play the Astros three oh. more times. Those are their first 10 games of the year. I am hoping they're 0-10 because that's going to be the funniest I mean, thing I've ever seen. No, you can't hope for them to be 0-10. What you have to hope for them to do is they need to get their, like, their due. So they need to beat the Dodgers. That is true. That is true. And then they, they, yeah. they get all exhausted and they don't have anything left. And then they come back. That, that is a good point. So here's what I'm hoping for. They sweep the Dodgers and they, they get to 3-4. and four, And then they get swept again by the Astros and they're 3-7. and seven. I can't. I'm not gonna look. I'm not gonna argue to you guys. I'm worried. They're due. Um, uh, Dodgers coming off three and one. I, I, I'm concerned. You're gonna wreck uh, So we'll see. Uh, you are gonna crack me eventually one of these days. But uh, yeah, I mean, you got to go in uh, even after zero four. You got to be serious about every play. Can't have an off day, Tyler. Can't take. You can't take a day off in this league. Um, the only, <laughs> the only, the only A's reliever that pitched in the ninth inning of one of these games to not give up a run was a backup left fielder that pitched in the ninth inning yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is brutal. Uh, we, we tomorrow's got... Bischoff's briefs will be solely on the A's beating the Dodgers. Oh, God. If the A's win tonight because of that, Jared will just assume I'm muted for most of the show. I will who's come on to start it, the and then I Wait, might Who's pitching for the Dodgers tonight? Uh, it's, t- it's to be determined, but I think May is going to go. I think that's May. I think he's. It's the fifth game. I think he's. Uh, I think he's going to go tonight. So you guys are going May Kershaw Bauer. So the A's are definitely winning the second game of this series. <laughs> All right. Hey, you know I'm worried about that kid. You know I I told you in spring training when he's giving up a bunch of bombs, then he goes to Coors Field and gets and gets shelled. I'm worried about him. I am. Giving, then he goes to Coors Field and gets yeah. shelled. You're giving yeah, me I'm, crap about being excited for four games, and you're worried because of spring training. Yes. Well, <laughs> Kershaw Bueller didn't have it in spring training, so you know I I have to find things to be concerned about with this team. It's a long year, Tyler, and look how good the Padres look right now. Oh uh, well, you two are from- going to be insufferable. All baseball season. Well, yeah, and they're and, both they're both going to be really good all year too, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, no, and yeah. I'm going to meanwhile be like, <laughs> yeah. did you see that home run Chris Bryant hit? <laughs> we lost by four, but that home run, it, now, he, hey, he may you can be trade back. Him for a better, you might can trade him for a better prospect if he hits. Yeah, at the at the deadline, at the deadline when they no, move. No, no, the new the the ownership has figured out. 
Wait, we make the same amount of money whether they're good or bad? <laughs> yeah, so trade Chris Bryant. All right, coming up next, UNLV volleyball coach Don Sullivan joins the show. Zorowski is blocked, and that'll do it. Brennan the stuff, the 12-0 season. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is the head coach for UNLV Volleyball, Don Sullivan. Don, how are you this morning? Hello, Don. I'm great. Yeah, I'm here. Great, great. Thanks for having me today. Um, so I want to I go back, like, not, not, where, not in the season yet, but I'm just curious, throughout the fall, when your season wasn't happening before you knew that there was going to be a season actually in the spring, like, what was it like as a head coach not having a season but having a team? Um, you know, it's interesting, obviously, you know, I, I think I'm just really thankful right now for the team I have. Um, this team has always been on a mission to, no matter what's in front of them, they just do it to the best of their ability. And so, you know, we, we gave them some time off early in the fall, um, and then came back and during, during that time when they were off, they were still working hard on their own. But when they came back, they, it was a di- totally different team. Um, they, they loved every minute they were on that court and they, they were ready to go. How, Don, how was it uh, more psychologically as well with kids? Uh, we've talked to your football coach out there, your basketball coach, yeah. and each kind of coach handled handled kids differently in terms of testing and all they had to go through. Was that kind of one of the more tougher things you've had to do a coach? Because obviously when you get on the floor, it's probably second nature, and, you, you know, it's, sure. it comes easy. But this whole idea psychologically, how was that? Yeah, it was tough, right? No, no matter what, when you take something away from them, that's, that's what kind of – allows them to be normal in a way, you know, when they can walk in the gym and just kind of forget everything and just play the game. And so, you know, we did. We checked in with them a lot. Uh, we got on a lot of team Zooms. Um, it, you, you know, you just take it day by day. And uh, like I said, the team, they handled it really well, and they were able to keep their focus. I think we spend a lot of time just focusing on them as individuals, and I think in doing that um, we were able to just cherish every moment we had, and, and they were they were great with that. So when you look back at the regular season, you guys go 12-0, and 0, you win the Mountain West. What, what do you look back at and say that that was the biggest key, that's the biggest reason this team was able to go unbeaten? Um, biggest reason, you know, I, I think it probably goes back to the drive of this team, you know, and, and the relationships within this team. It's, this, this group is pretty special in the fact um, they just care about each other. And through that whole time, you know, the way they checked in and the way we were able to connect was different than, than most. And so it allowed us to create some bonds that were pretty incredible and um, have a lot of conversations that sometimes you don't get to have, right? And so I, I think it happened over time um, that allowed us to have that success. But I don't know if there's ever one, one minute that I think or one moment that does that. I think it's over time and creating those relationships and putting in the work, Um and then it kind of, it just eventually all through, you know, it kind of works out for you. I wanted to ask you, we, you know, and I, I looked at the roster and the roster of, you know, California, Hawaii, even some Europeans, but I did want to specifically ask you about locally because, you know, the cliche around here in terms of baseball, softball, volleyball is like over the last 10 years, like Vegas has kind of exploded. They're much better at the club level of these sports and there's more players. Take us through volleyball in terms of now as you kind of look at this state and this city comparative to maybe when you were at Iowa State or other places when you looked at Nevada in terms of the level of play here. Yeah, the talent here in Vegas is actually pretty incredible. And we're hoping to continue to pull people from Vegas to stay here, you know, and to play for the hometown. I think that's 
That's what we'd love for this program to be about. Uh, we have one already, you know, Arianne Fassard. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a freshman setter for us, and she's, she's, she's a competitor. I don't know if anybody – obviously, it's been a little hard to get in our gym and see that, but um, as a freshman, she's stepped on the court, and she's, she's been a great leader for us. And she, she's just a, uh, a student of the game. You know, she watches a lot of film, and she, she embodies kind of what we want to be, you know, here, here at UNLV. And so, you know, the talent here in Vegas, the talent in Las Vegas, uh, the talent in Nevada is great, you know, and obviously just being across the border from California and Hawaii, those are yeah. two big goals for us as well. But we really want to be strong here in Las Vegas. Uh, we have another one coming in 21. Um, hope to have many more to come. And so um, we would love to have this be a program that just really represents our city. Uh, Don, you guys, uh, you won the Mountain West, so you knew you were in. So wh- how was the feeling when you guys were actually the last team to be announced on the selection show? It was crazy. Um, you know, every every little bracket, we were like, oh, well, okay, okay, we're going to wait a little longer. Um, but, you know, it, it, was, it was sweet. No matter when your name pops up there, it's just, it's an amazing feeling to know that you can continue to play the game that you love. And that, that's special. There's not many teams right now that are able to walk in the gym again and, and play and compete this next week. And so we feel, feel very fortunate for this opportunity, and we'll take advantage of it for sure. Uh, you get to play a school you you know well uh, before you know uh, if you get that one you have two Kentucky but talk about like the first round matchups you've been at that school and how easy is it I guess to keep in terms of programs across the country when with the scheduling and the COVID and everything like that I mean how do you prepare for someone now? Yeah, you know you you trust what you've done in the gym is going to help you right, and we try to make our practices harder than what will ever be when you step on that game floor. Um, we're very lucky; we're, we are pretty deep within our roster. We have some great players um, coming up that have helped us and challenged us. Um, but but it, it is difficult, you know. We we do a good job scouting, I think, and preparing, um, trying to put a lot of pressure on them in practice. So when they walk on that floor, they feel like, okay, I'm prepared. I'm talking confident with what's going to come up. Come across the net for me, right? And so, um, I, yeah, I know Illinois State really well. They're a great, wonderful team. Um, very well-trained, that's what I'll say. They don't make a ton of errors, and so we'll have to go back there and serve top and play some great defense and transition for points, which is what we've done well all season. And so I'm pretty excited about that piece. And then um, hopefully we get to continue to play. You know, we continue playing and we'll play Kentucky. And uh, they're a phenomenal team, you know, and so we'll have to be great that night. And um, But, you know, we just, you take it one day at a time and you enjoy the moment you're in and you trust, you trust your training. And I think that's one thing we talk about a lot within our gym. Well, she is Don Sullivan, the head coach for UNLV volleyball. They had an undefeated regular season and they kick off in the NCAA tournament uh, next week against Illinois state. Don, we appreciate your time this morning. Best of yeah, luck, Don. I really, yeah. I appreciate you as well. And I appreciate the city of Las Vegas and all your support and hopefully get you guys back in the gym next year. Yes. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Bye-bye. So the yeah. uh, the volleyball tournament, Ed, they're, so they're all going to Omaha, Omaha right? Where right. yeah, where they're playing in Omaha, which seems mm-hmm. a little unfair because like the University of Nebraska is like usually really good at volleyball, and they basically get to play at home now. Yeah, I mean, I think for her, just getting in was great and being undefeated. But you're right. I mean, this bubble has just caused those kind of advantages for certain teams. And I I'm with her. I mean, hopefully people are back in the gym next year and it's more of a, you know, a traditional tournament. Uh, but man, she's done really, really well, man, to go undefeated and to have to deal with COVID and all they had to deal with. And, uh, I was interested. It's interesting in volleyball, uh, 
volleyball rosters. A lot are usually foreign kids. I think she has a few. She has a lot from California and Hawaii. Not not a surprise there, given the talent level there. But uh, it'd be cool to keep kids home as well. I think, you know, I think um, baseball team's done that really well with kids like Krizik and others. I think softball's done that really well, keeping local kids home. So maybe she can do that. I think 10 to 12 years ago, you wouldn't say that. But these club sports now in Vegas are so much better than they were a decade ago. So I'm sure she'll, uh, I mean, it's pretty good to recruit locally with NSA tournament bursts and undefeated seasons. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that should be. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good opening line. Hello, we went undefeated. Which, by the way, okay, <laughs> to, to also put in perspective here, so UNLV Volleyball, they went undefeated in the Mountain West. They only got to play a Mountain West schedule because of COVID. But if you look right. at the scores, they were only go- they only went to five sets one time this year, right? Every other game they played, it was either they either swept them in three sets or they took them to four. They, right. have, only, they have only lost one set since the month of March began. Jesus. Now, they, they've had quite a few canceled games because of COVID, but that spans, what is that, six, seven, the last seven matches, I think, yep. they've only lost one set. Like, they, they didn't just go undefeated in Mountain West play. They dominated every single team they played for the most part. Like, they were unbelievably good this entire season. And it's a shortened season, only Mountain West play. But, like, they were unreal in this conference. And if you look, like, Don Sullivan, this is her third year here. Her first two years, they went to what's effectively the NIT of women's volleyball. They have a second tournament. They went, I think, all the way to the semifinals the first year, went to the second round the second year, and now in the third year, they're in the actual NCAA tournament. Like, that's a, for UNLV volleyball, that's a fairly unbelievable three-year run. Like, regardless of even what they do in the NCAA tournament, that's like an unbelievable three-year run for this program. Did they, what's this fact or fiction? I know I'm technically correct, you talked about it a lot. She has a big Iowa State background. Did we miss out asking her if she had eaten an Otzelberger? <laughs> no, no. The Otzelberger was in um, South oh, Dakota. Oh, well, yes. maybe she traveled through there for coaching volleyball, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, too bad. I, I thought I saw her Iowa State back, and I'm like, I wonder if she ever had a sandwich there and, and ordered the Otzelberger. But I guess, I, how, what are the chances Ames, Iowa, brings that in, though, and copies South Dakota State? You know, he is the head coach now. Well, nobody did it here. That was like... It oh, was, that it is was true. An, yeah. It was an Applebee's in South Dakota that was like, hey, we're going to bring in TJ Otzelberger <laughs> and sell the Otzelberger. <laughs> I don't remember what was on it, but they're going to sell the Otzelberger and do commercials <laughs> with him. But nobody here did that. Nobody took the no. shot of, hey, let's let's get TJ Otzelberger in here and make a hamburger and, name. And, and it's such a layup with his name. I mean, right. like, it's not even, it's not even I mean, deep thinking here. The, oh. Genuinely, the lamest part of going to Pittsburgh is in every restaurant has a Roethlisberger. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah, their lives. I mean, uh, well, he's gone now, so what are you going to do? Now that he's gone, you probably see it pop up on a menu here recently. People wouldn't order it then, right? Aren't people mad? Oh. At him? Why would oh, they be mad at him? They, I think they're, they're they, they they got broken up with Jared. They got dumped, and they're they're in the varying. Varying stages of not accepting or grieving or just being angry. I mean, did they get broken up with, or was this just like somebody you were casually dating ghosting you? Like, this just sort of feels like, eh. Yeah, I mean, you still got dumped to an extent, even if it was casual. I don't know. This this doesn't feel like the betrayal Chris Beard was or the Mick Cronin of it. Like where. Well, yeah, because, you know, he was. I don't feel dirty or used. I just feel like. For more than a week. I mean, you should feel a little used. Otzelberger didn't do anything and he got a better job. 
Well, and it worked. Look, it not it worked out. You know, hey, uh, incredibly. That's the story of every ex girlfriend I have. I mean, <laughs> I mean Jared, it worked out incredibly. Just because Jared is better at handling or has had more experience getting dumped by people who were better than him doesn't mean you and LB fans are all it's ready true. for that. Hey, they weren't better than me. They just went on to better things than me. <laughs> well, I was I was going to say, though, it worked out well for Mick Cronin, incredibly well. And I actually think UCLA's back. Because when UCLA's good in that town, those kids want to go there. In the past, they, they want to go there. They haven't recently. But I'll say this, that of all the um, – handshake agreements and what went on i think mick cronin was the worst because of the handshake agreement because he didn't have ucla at that point where beard actually did kind of go back to a place he wanted to be i put cronin number one on that list of like if you're mad at a guy for not coming well it's also the whole you used us bro you know you did yeah don't yeah. even don't pretend We're, and i'm not sure yeah and beard like I say, if Cronin said, oh, I can't come because I'm going to UCLA, okay. But that wasn't the case at that point. So Beard actually took I mean, the job, I Beard, think, in good faith, Beard and all of a sudden Texas Tech those, goes. Beard had that cast yeah. on, as Tyler likes right. to mention. <laughs> I mean, just That's sitting so through the Regents alone, I you know, I felt bad for Chris Beard. His hand was broken the entire tenure at UNLV. <laughs> crazy. He just couldn't fix it. I had no idea how to fix that broken hand. I almost wish that I had gotten to like cover the Final Four this year, just so after UCLA lost to Gonzaga, I could ask Mick Cronin about Tina Kunzer Murphy and UNLV. Oh, that would have been, per- been the perfect how, how, time. How well would that question have gone? No, yeah, you, would, you would have even perfect you would have even gotten this. What do you think? You would have gotten who? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mick. Uh, so a few years ago, um, you reportedly agreed to a handshake deal. To go to UNLV, can you confirm if that's true or not? Oh, would have been great. And uh, by the way, how deflating was that Jalen Sugg shot? All right, coming up next, uh, the Las Vegas Aces. They might have some new jerseys. Ed, don't you get excited when you have to talk about jerseys. Am I muted? If not, let me mute myself. We are okay. we are turning you into a jersey. No. You are you are, you're always gonna love it, Ed. You're always gonna love it. You're not gonna be able to look at jerseys and not have an opinion after after we're done with you. Okay. When will you be done <laughs> with me? <laughs> God, so, you sound so defeated. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we have a tweet here from Jasmine Baker of uh, potential jersey leaks for the WNBA season. And we can see a Las Vegas jersey here with Asia Wilson's uh, name and number on the back, as well as one for the Chicago Sky and the Seattle Storm. So, Ed, before before I give you the multitude of opinions I obviously am going to have about these, what do you think of these jerseys? Uh, well, one, you can show me where to find them. Was that on the rundown? Because <laughs> yeah, I have I haven't the t- it's the tweets on the 945 segment of the rundown uh, that Jared uh, here we go. We got, ga- we got game two. Hold on yes. a second. Yes. I'll give you my opinion really quick here. <laughs> they can't be better than the throwback jerseys of the uh, Minnesota Wild or Anaheim. And I'm just, let me see here. This is, this is the, this is the um, okay, let's see here. Uh, well, pretty plain, right? Pretty plain. I, I actually like them. I've told you this before. 
I'm into throwbacks plain. I don't like all the nonsense, all the, you know, the graphics and the craziness. That's why I laugh with, oh, my God, there's another tweet on the goalie helmet. Uh, so believe it or not, um, I'm going to say I like them. I like clean, man, and these look clean. So I, I, I'm big thumbs up for me on these jerseys. So for those of you that listen to Technically Correct, you will know that I did not like the Aces jerseys the last couple of seasons. But it wasn't the Aces' fault. It was the WNBA's fault because the last few seasons, the WNBA had their jersey design where you would have the team name across the chest and then the team logo underneath that and then the AT&T logo underneath the, the team logo. So you had... Basically, three logos just going down the chest and stomach of these jerseys, and it looked hideous. It was just like a cluttered mess of, hey, just throw as many logos on this jersey as you possibly can. Well, based on these leaks, the only thing on the front of the jersey is Las Vegas and then the player's number. That's it. There is no AT&T logo. There is no unnecessary Aces logo. It's just Las Vegas and the number. The AT&T logo appears to have been moved to the back where it's underneath the player name and number, which I think is a much better location for the jerseys if you're going to have a sponsor that's that big on a jersey. So they look much better than previous jerseys. But maybe the more important part of this has nothing to do with what the Aces jersey actually looks like. Ah. It's comparing them with Chicago and Seattle. These are all different. The design template is completely different on all three of these jerseys. And for the past however many years, every single WNBA team has had the same exact jersey design. They're just allowed to change the colors around. But the template has always been the same. These are actually different jerseys for different teams, which is phenomenal because you need actual team identities to have fun. I'm going to vote of these threes, Aces 1, Seattle 2, Chicago 3. Once again, Chicago a little busy with the stripes down the uh, the front. I don't like busy. I like plain. I like simple. So I'm going to go Aces 1. I haven't seen them all, obviously, because they just gave us three examples here. Seattle 2, Chicago three. Oh, I like man. the aces. I, I I like the aces. I do. I like it. I like it a lot. But then again, I told you my favorite jer- throwback jersey I've seen in sports in a long time was the Washington Capitals uh, sweater with the huge W on it. Like I like stuff like that. So I think the aces actually is a really cool. I'm also with you completely with you on put the sponsor on the back. Absolutely. Do you know what you, know you just you opened yourself up to? Do you know what you just opened yourself up to, Ed? When no, but we I'm sure get you'll tell all, me some kind of weird when, briefs tomorrow. No, 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 no. When we get all twelve WNBA jerseys out, ah, you are giving a power rankings. Yeah, you yes. are giving a one through twelve power rankings, dude. You walk well, right into it. I will, I will do that if it can include the grades. We will grade. Oh them. yes, we can do it with grades. Grade Absolutely, yes. we will grade, grade all twelve yes. WNBA yes. jerseys. Good radio coming from the press box. My okay. <laughs> <laughs> Un- under the part you guys didn't get to is the fact that the person who's reporting this source is they fell off the back of the truck. Well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Why not? Why can't they fall off the back of the truck? How else would you get them? The truck crashes. Hey, WNBA jerseys. Let's tweet those out. It's great. Maybe the box had some chickens in it.